So if you've listened to the past two episodes and you've done the work associated with them, you have now chosen the perfect niche for your films and you've done the research to ensure that that niche can support you financially. So the next question is, well, what happens now? Well, one option is just to start making films and marketing yourself and doing all the things. Gotta hustle. And just taking those two prerequisite steps that I just mentioned, one is finding your niche and the other is validating it, just those two things put you ahead of 95% of other indie filmmakers, maybe more actually, um, in terms of being able to build a sustainable business around your work. That said, I would be remiss if I didn't share with you the final piece to this niche puzzle. And it's a piece that when you implement it, will help you create and communicate in ways that are so magnetic and so compelling that when you put out content or when you release a new film or a Kickstarter or whatever it is, the folks in your niche won't be able to help but whip out their wallets. It's a technique that I have coined audience mapping, and it's very similar to what you might find in the marketing world under the title of empathy mapping. But regardless of what you call it, this is going to be your secret weapon for creating content and telling stories that are so specific and so emotionally resonant and so custom tailored to the people in your niche that the people there will feel like you're reading their minds. They'll feel connected to you and to your work in ways that most filmmakers never really experience. And it's that connection that opens the door to creating true fans or super fans or whatever you want to call them. And creating true fans, as it so happens, is one of the keys to building a sustainable long-term business around the films that you care about. So that, my friend, is the power of an audience map. And in today's episode, you are about to learn exactly how to create one of your own in a borderline excruciating detail. So yeah, let's get to it. Hey friend, welcome to Filmmaker Freedom. This is a show for ambitious indie filmmakers who want to make work they're proud of, build audiences, cut out the middlemen, and earn a damn good living selling directly to their fans. My name is Rob Hardy, and I'm a filmmaker and marketing consultant who's worked with a number of brands and startups to help them connect with online audiences and grow their business. Though I'd initially given up on the idea of making a living with indie films, after years of working in the world of marketing, I saw that many of the strategies that worked for other types of companies could be applied to indie film, with a few tweaks, of course. So that's what these solo episodes of Filmmaker Freedom are, a living, breathing document of everything I've learned about marketing, entrepreneurship, creating work that resonates, and living a good life. And one last thing before we begin, I just want to thank my good friends over at Musicvine for sponsoring this show. Over the years, I've used just about every music licensing platform out there, and I can say without hesitation that Musicvine is at the very top of my list. The quality and uniqueness of the music are outstanding, the prices are reasonable, and the design and functionality of their website are second to none. It's just a pure pleasure to use. So if you're a discerning filmmaker who needs quality music, just go to musicvine.com and use the code FILMFREEDOM for 25% off your next order. All right, now let's get into the practical lesson at the heart of today's episode. Okay, so the first question you're probably asking yourself is, what the hell is an audience map? And it's really simple. An audience map is just a document, like it's a straight up document that helps you communicate effectively with your niche. Now, on the surface, it's going to seem like a marketing tool, and it totally is. Um, it's going to be a list of the places that your group, your niche, hangs out online. It's a dictionary of niche-specific jargon, and it's a map of the topics and ideas that these people care most about. But it goes so much deeper than that. An audience map is also a tool that helps you understand both the inner and outer worlds of the people that you serve. It's a map of their most cherished beliefs, their deepest desires, their darkest fears, and their dominant worldviews. And as filmmakers, the essence of our craft is being able to tell stories that elicit emotion. And if we do our jobs well, our 
films are going to ring true on a gut level. Even if they're fictional, they're going to they're going to feel true. And they're going to create memorable, meaningful experiences that stay with the audience long after the credits roll. And that's the real power of an audience map. It helps you make films and tell stories that have that effect on people. So yes, on the surface, an audience map is a marketing tool. Um, It's a roadmap for creating messages and brand assets that earn attention and trust in your niche. And that is incredibly important. But on that deeper level, the audience map really shines when it comes to creating meaningful art. Which, if you're anything like me, that's really why you got into this whole filmmaking thing in the first place. Because you love film and you felt that desire to tell stories that matter. And an audience map that's filled out correctly can get you to that place. So, to wrap this intro section up, when it comes to creating niche media and building a business around it, an audience map is more like a treasure map. It's your single source of truth for reaching these people and creating things that they actually want. That's like 80% of the battle right there is just cutting through the noise by creating things that people want. So if that sounds good to you, let's dig into the mechanics of building out this glorious document. So like I alluded to earlier, building an audience map is not particularly complicated. It's literally just a document with a list of categories on it that you fill in over time. That said, the process is rather involved. It's quite nuanced. Um, There's some uncertainty baked in and it is time consuming. It takes a good deal of focused effort. So I want to disabuse you of any notions that this will be like a quick thing that you do in an afternoon and then call it good. Much like any other area of life and business, the more attention you pay to this, to your audience map, the more impactful the rewards that you'll see on the back end. And if you phone it in, you can't realistically expect much. It might still be helpful in certain cases, but the deeper you go with your audience map, the deeper the results that you'll get. So if I haven't scared you off, let's get into the weeds on how to build out this document. For starters, much like the niche research process from the last episode, you are going to need a digital or maybe even physical document of some kind. Um, you just need a place to store all of this information. And ideally, it's something that you can easily access it um, and easily add stuff to it. So if you listen to the last episode, you know that I use an app called Notion. And like before, I made a handy template that you can basically just duplicate into your account. Now, if you're interested in getting that, um, the instructions are going to be in the written version of this podcast, which is on the blog. So you can go to filmfreedomshow.com slash map. Again, that's filmfreedomshow.com slash map. And that will take you to the section in the article with instructions for how to do this. That said, if you don't care for Notion or you have an app that you like better, um, you do you. I'm not imposing anything on you. Um, Regardless, though, I do recommend looking at my template and just copying and pasting everything there into your own um, app of choice. So now let's talk about when and how to build your audience map before we get into all of these categories. If you listen to the previous episode on conducting niche research, you know the process is broken out into two distinct phases. First, you do high-level research, which is where you determine the financial viability of a niche. And then comes deep dive research, where you immerse yourself in the niche to ensure that it's actually a good fit for you personally. So the best time to start filling out your audience map is during deep dive research, but only once you've made that decision to fully commit to this niche. Now, as a quick refresher, deep dive research is about total immersion. You join all the communities, you participate in conversations, you consume the content, and you just live in the niche and pay really close attention to everything. And that's why this is the perfect time to start building out your audience map, because it's easily the most engaged and focused you'll ever be on the intricacies of this whole media ecosystem. Now, as for how to do this work, there really aren't any rules, but there are ways to make it more efficient. So here's the process that I teach to the students in my various courses and in my consulting work. So step one is before doing any immersion, review all of the categories of the audience map. And this way, your brain is sort of primed to spot insights that it otherwise wouldn't. Because as you're about to find out, there there are quite a few different categories here. And you want to make sure, essentially, that you know what you're looking for. 
So step two is to add notes to your audience map contemporaneously. In other words, when you spot something that belongs in one of these categories, just add it right away. Don't try to set a reminder to yourself to add it later or try to remember in your own brain. Um, because if you do that, and I'm speaking from experience here, you're going to forget and you're going to regret it. So do it um, at the same time. Do it contemporaneously. And the third step is that whenever possible or whenever it makes sense, pull direct quotes from people in your niche. So in the marketing world, this is known as quote unquote voice of customer data, and it is super useful for both marketing and storytelling purposes. And really what this means is just that if you see something that belongs in a certain category of the audience map, um, you might just copy and paste it straight into the audience map in that person's own words. And those are the tips I have for you for how to build out this document. Now, the only other thing that I want to mention before we dig into all of these categories is that this is a continuous process. You might do most of your audience mapping in the niche research phase, but the process itself should never stop. If you continue to spend time in the niche, you will continue to find valuable new insights. So don't ever assume that your audience map is done because you'll likely miss out on some really good stuff. And with that, now it's time to get into the exact categories of an audience map and all of the little nuances and subcategories that it contains. So first up, the audience map is broken up into two distinct sections. First is the outer world of your niche, and second is the inner world of the people within it. These two sections, when combined, are what allow you to create content and tell stories that not only reflect the reality of the people in your niche, their day-to-day -day lives, but it's what allows you to reflect their emotional states, their wants and their desires, which is what creates that deep emotional resonance. So with that said, let's dig into each of these and the subcategories that they contain. So we're going to start with the outer world, and that is exactly what it sounds like. It's the visible reality for people in your niche. So here are the subcategories that you'll want to document for the outer world or the questions that you'll want to ask. The first one is really easy, and that's what are the best places to reach my niche online? Quite simply, you're going to want to list out the places your niche is most active on the interwebs. This might be specific platforms like Facebook or YouTube, but it should be more precise than that. So list out specific communities, specific groups, forums, channels, whatever you find during your research process. And you want to make note of the most popular, engaged places where you can directly reach your niche and ideally post your own content. And to make life easier for future you, considering you're going to be interacting in all these places, um, I recommend adding links to these various communities and groups and whatever so that you can essentially access all of them quickly if you're promoting something new or doing something marketing-wise. Also, an extra little bonus here, um, you might want to list out the social media hashtags that are popular within the niche in this section or in the sections below, but it's something that you'll want to keep track of. So next up, what types or forms of content do they engage with the most? So again, throughout your niche research process, you will have likely noticed trends regarding popular places to post content and popular types of content. Do the people in your niche love long-form podcasts? Do they live on social media and eat up live stream videos? Do they voraciously read and comment on blogs? Or do they just kind of live on YouTube? Um, every niche, by and large, is going to be somewhat different. So in this section, you're just going to list out the content forms that are most popular and most familiar to your niche. And like before, you can even link to some pertinent examples if you feel like you need inspiration or you want to see what works for other people. And just a side note here is that while you'll generally want to stick to these formats for your marketing content, don't think this means that you can't produce anything outside of these forms. It just means that it might be a little bit harder to earn the niche's attention um, with other types of content, and you might have to train them to consume things in forms that they're not particularly useful. So it's possible it just is going to be a little bit more work on your part. Next up, what are the most popular recurring topics within the niche? And this one is really, really important. So throughout your research, you'll want to make note of the topics, the themes, the ideas 
that reliably generate engagement in the niche communities and wherever else. So what are the ideas at the center of the most active conversations? What are the topics that are covered in the most popular content? And finally, what are the topics where there's a relative consensus in the niche, where everyone seems to agree that this topic or this idea is either good or bad or whatever it happens to be? So list all of these out and then combine them with what you've got in those first two categories, which is where do they live and what types of content do they like to consume? And voila, you've basically got a roadmap to effective content marketing in this particular niche. So enjoy that. The next section is what are the hot button and divisive topics in this niche? And this is where things start to get a little bit spicy. So you'll want to list out the topics that people in the niche do not agree on and that seem to reliably generate outbursts of emotion. So in other words, what topics generally devolve into internet pissing matches or what topics get people all riled up in emotional and sort of ridiculous ways. Um, having this information at your fingertips is super powerful as it allows you to create pretty massive engagement at will. It gives you the ability to, um, you know, poke the proverbial bee's nest or the proverbial bear. Should that be something that will help you get your films and content further into the world? Um, and it should go without saying, though, that you have to be careful with this. So for starters, if you come down on a particular side of a contentious issue, you run the risk of alienating people, uh, maybe even half or more of your target audience. And that can be very unwise. So don't do that unless it's an intentional choice for your business, unless you're trying to be polarizing to attract a smaller segment of that market. Also, if you're launching divisiveness grenades into your niche too frequently, it will very much degrade people's perception of you over time. Um, you'll be seen less as an honest broker of cool art and content and whatever, but as a provocateur, a rabble rouser. So the point I'm getting at is that this is one of those tools that is very useful for generating engagement and attention um, as it really allows us to tap into the more emotional or rational parts of our niche. But for that reason, we also have to be careful and responsible. And speaking of being responsible, that's especially prudent for this next section, which is who are the enemies and antagonists in the niche narratives? So nothing bonds groups of people together like a shared enemy. It's one of those survival mechanisms that's just hardwired into us from our earliest, most tribal days on this planet. So almost any group or niche that you stumble on online will have either real enemies or perceived enemies in some way. So in political niches, it's going to be the opposing party. For nerdy high school kids, it might be the jocks. In the world of indie film, it's going to be predatory distribution companies or platforms like Distriber or maybe even Amazon now that they keep slashing royalties. So these common enemies unite people and give them something to rally around. They stir up this powerful stew of connection and righteousness. And as a creator and an entrepreneur, you'd be pretty crazy not to tap into this and use it to your advantage. So for this stage of the audience map, just list out the enemies and antagonists in your niche. It might consist of certain ideas or other ideologies. It might be a certain company or type of company. It might be a cultural trend. It might be certain types of behaviors. And of course, it might be a specific person or group of people. However, and you've heard me say this um, probably several other times at this point, if you're using another person or a group as a common enemy, you need to be really careful and cognizant of what you're doing because there is nothing more dangerous in the human psyche than our penchant for dehumanizing others when they're perceived as an enemy. I can't think of any atrocity throughout human history that can't be traced back to dehumanization in some way. So please, 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 if you're creating media that emphasizes a shared enemy, just be aware that you have a responsibility not to dehumanize. It is very much immoral and it is dangerous. So just don't do it. Okay, got to take a breath because that always gets me a little riled up. The next section is what jargon or group-specific language does this niche use? And this one is easy. Like those, those last categories were a little bit heavy, but this one is pretty straightforward. So 
for this, you're just going to hunt for jargon or language that is unique to this niche. So is there a specific name that they call themselves? Is there slang that only people in this niche use? Are there any words or phrases that mean one thing to the rest of the world, but something different for the people in this niche? Or are there like technical words or processes that only people in this niche understand and talk about? In this section of the audience map, you're just going to list out anything and everything you find in terms to unique and recurring language patterns. And then obviously, you can use this in your content on your website, or if you're making a narrative film, you can use this to write dialogue that is just delightfully authentic and that resonates with your niche. So that's pretty cool, right? Okay, next category. How do they spend money in relation to the niche? So in terms of building a business here, this is a category that you'll want to pay really close attention to. So you're going to list out all of the ways that people spend money in relation to the niche. So are there niche-specific products? Maybe things like gear or accessories or maybe even clothing. Are there niche websites with ads or content with sponsors? And if so, what's being advertised there? To go even deeper, do people in this niche directly support any creators through maybe product purchases or Patreon or subscriptions or whatever it happens to be? There's a ton of different ways that creators can monetize. And if there are creators monetizing already, that's a good signal that you'll be able to follow in those footsteps. So just make note of anything and everything that involves money changing hands in relation to the niche. And if you hadn't guessed, the reason this is important is that you're basically uncovering the various ways that you'll be able to earn a living here. Um, and sure, you're likely going to be selling your films, but this type of research helps you find ways to create ancillary products and secondary revenue streams, which are going to be crucial to you for building a sustainable long-term business. Next up, what does an average day or week look like for someone in this niche. And this is one of my favorite categories in the audience map. And for this stage, you're essentially going to put on your anthropologist hat and make note of the common occurrences in the lives of people in this niche. So what reliably happens to people that's related to this identity or their participation in this particular niche? How does that identity show up in their day-to-day -day lives? And I realize that can be kind of abstract sounding. So here's an example for you. If you happen to be targeting, let's say, the vegan niche, you'd want to list out all of the ways that veganism plays out in people's lives. How does it impact their relationships with their friends and family? How does it play out at work? How is grocery shopping or eating at restaurants different when you're a vegan? And like, what about when they go out on a first date and the other person orders a cheeseburger or something like that? And if you hadn't already guessed... This list is the one that really helps you create insanely relevant content and stories that essentially feel tailor-made to the people in your niche because it speaks to what they're seeing in their lives. You're basically reflecting their lives right back at them and creating that resonance. And the final section in the outer world part of the audience map is this. Are there any dates that are significant to people in the niche? And you're simply going to list out dates that means something to the people in this niche. So are there niche-specific holidays or anniversaries or maybe significant events? For instance, like if your niche is comic fandom, then Comic-Con is basically the pinnacle of the year for people. This is really good information for you to have as you may want to use one of these dates to launch a film or somehow piggyback off of the attention that these events or holidays or anniversaries generate. And that is it for the Outer World section of the audience map. And now that we've tackled that, we're going to get to the really, really juicy stuff. And that's the inner world of the people in your niche. So here are the subcategories that you'll want to start filling out for this one. And the first category is what are this group's deepest dreams and desires? But to understand why this section is so necessary and so powerful, we need to take a quick detour into how to tell good stories. So at the heart of pretty much all powerful storytelling is a character the audience can empathize with, who deeply desires something, who encounters seemingly insurmountable obstacles, 
and who experiences some kind of personal transformation along the way. Those are the elements that underlie basically all great storytelling frameworks, whether it's the hero's journey or whatever Robert McKee does to the muse process to all of them. Um, It's all pretty much the same thing. You have a character who desires something, who encounters obstacles, and then transforms in some kind of meaningful way. So what we're doing in this inner world section of the audience map is basically pulling together all of these elements along with a few others so that we can intentionally create stories that have that deep level of resonance. And again, once you have all this put together, you'll be able to tell stories that are so specific and so emotionally true and so emotionally compelling for the people in your niche that competition from more generic media from, say, the next Disney movie, it becomes irrelevant. You will have earned the attention and the trust of this small segment of the market. They will choose your work over everything else out there because it's more relevant to their identity. It's more resonant with the core sense of who they are. And I'd also be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that this is great for telling stories, but all of the insights here can also be used across your marketing content, your website, your ads, or anywhere else you communicate with your niche. So with all that storytelling context in mind, let's get back to the core category here, which is talking about desire. And there are two distinct types of desire that you'll want to look out for during your niche research. The first one is outer goals and outer desires. And this is exactly what it sounds like. External desires are tangible goals that people are chasing through action in the real world. So we're going to take my friend Mike Dion as an example, and I'm going to use him as an example throughout a lot of these following sections. And if you need a refresher on him, um, go back and listen to the episode. I think it's like episode 10 or something of this latest season. Um, But for reference, the niche that he's made his living in with his feature films is bikepacking. And it's a sport that essentially combines endurance cycling with backpacking. It's those people who will ride for days or weeks at a time with nothing more than what's on their back. And that's his niche. So for people in the bikepacking world in this particular niche, their external goals might be something like qualifying for, completing, or even winning a specific race. And in fact, many of Mike's films are centered around individual bikepacking races. And then the characters or the athletes in said films are competing in those races. So there's essentially goals and desire and conflict just built right into this structure inherently. So anyhow, on a more practical note here, you're just going to want to keep track of all of the external goals and desires that you come across during your immersion in your niche. Simply make note of the things that people say they want. What are they striving for? Document the goals and the outcomes that they really want in their lives in this section of the audience map. Next up is inner desires and goals. Now, this section about internal desire is a little bit more complex and ambiguous. So very often, we chase external goals not because we want that tangible outcome, but because doing so would satisfy some deep inner need that we have. So think about this as the subtext for our goals. It's about what's happening beneath the surface. So let's go back to Mike and the bikepacking niche, and let's consider an average person, not necessarily a professional athlete, who decides to compete in one of these epic races. Sure, their external goal might be to qualify for the race or complete the race or whatever. But what's happening beneath the surface here? For my money... They're most certainly trying to prove something to themselves or perhaps to someone in their life who doubted them. They're trying to demonstrate that they're capable of so much more than they ever thought possible. They want to feel powerful, like they've won some epic battle against the world, and more importantly, against themselves. Who knows, maybe they were overweight for years, and now in their eyes, completing this race is the pinnacle of reclaiming their health and their life. It's a demonstration of how far they've come and how much they've transformed into a new person. So yeah, it's a great physical achievement, but the underlying symbolism here is what makes it meaningful. So beneath the surface of this external goal are all sorts of complex intrinsic motivators. There's a quest for personal mastery, a desire to understand and fulfill one's potential, and maybe even a chip on their shoulder for whatever reason. These are the types of things that you want to add to this section of the audience map. 
Now, I wish I could tell you that it was super easy to discover these types of subtextual insights. Now, sometimes it is because, you know, you'll have self-aware folks in your niche will just share them publicly. But usually, that's not the case, and you'll have to do some digging and critical thinking to find them. And more than that, you're almost certainly going to have to live in the land of making educated guesses as it's kind of impossible to ever really know what's going on in someone else's head. Luckily, though, you can make some truly educated guesses as most everyone in the world has the same set of core psychological needs. So in case you've never heard of this or seen this before, here's the standard hierarchy of human needs that was developed by Abraham Maslow. So it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and it's shaped like a pyramid. So on the bottom, you have physiological needs. So, you know, air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, reproduction. The next level up is safety needs. So that's personal security, employment, resources, health, property. The middle section is love and belonging. So that might mean friendship, intimacy, family, a sense of connection, and community. The next level is esteem. So that's respect, self-esteem, status, recognition, strength, and freedom. And at the very top of the pyramid, he has what he calls self-actualization, and that's the desire to become the most that one can potentially be. It's all about reaching your personal potential, whatever that happens to mean in your case. So with Maslow's hierarchy as the foundation, here's how to start sussing out people's internal goals and desires. Whenever someone in your chosen niche is talking about some goal they have, some external goal, ask yourself, what is it that they really want here? Or why is that important? So you'll want to use your own experiences reference along with a list of psychological needs and then simply make some educated guesses as to the internal needs they're likely trying to meet by striving for certain goals. And then as you spend more time in the niche and talk to people and all of that, um, start testing your assumptions. Find out if those same needs show up over and over and make note of which internal desires are most prevalent in your niche. Now, I realize this is probably still feeling a little bit ambiguous, maybe vague. So here are just a few more examples to get you thinking about how this might look in your own niche. So again, for comic fans, going to Comic-Con in an elaborate like cosplay outfit or something, that might be an external goal. But by attending they're meeting much, much deeper needs, such as fully expressing themselves and being in an environment where they're accepted and where they truly belong. So yes, it's about going to Comic-Con, but really it's about connection and belonging and being seen for who they are. Another example, in any political niche, the external goal might be winning an election or getting a ballot measure passed or whatever. But deep down, this is fulfilling needs that we have around strict moral codes and justice. And like before, belonging with our tribe and winning a victory as a community. And for a final example, if your niche is centered around, say, indie musicians, the external goal might be getting a record deal. But internally, it's all about validation. It's about finally knowing that your music, your art, and by extension yourself, is truly worth something. So again... None of this is an exact science, but over time, with enough observation and refinement, we can uncover these types of insights. And when we use them in our work, it then becomes far more resonant than any other media our niche is consuming. The next section or the next category is what stands in the way of achieving those dreams. And like before, we're going to divide this into the same two categories. So external obstacles and internal obstacles. So much like external goals, external obstacles are pretty easy to understand and find. Quite simply, it's the tangible things and the external events that stand in the way of people getting what they want. And very often, it's something mundane, like lack of time or lack of money. No matter what goals your niche happens to be chasing, chances are these two things are an obstacle for many people. But definitely don't limit yourself to those obvious answers. Pay close attention to the pains and the frustrations that people in your niche are expressing throughout the communities and forums. Nearly always at the root of all of these frustrations are some kind of obstacle that's preventing them from getting what they want. So let's go back to Mike and his niche for some more concrete examples of this. So for a bike packer, some external obstacles might be getting time off and having the funds to travel to a certain race. 
And then during the race itself, there might be obstacles like gear malfunction or muscle failure or dehydration or getting lost or anything along those lines. Not too complicated, right? So now let's talk about internal obstacles. And this is all about how people in the niche get in their own way and sabotage themselves in pursuit of their goals. And often these internal obstacles can be seen through people's self-defeating behavior. Do they procrastinate? Do they spend money they don't have? Do they fail to stick up for themselves? Whatever these self-sabotaging behaviors are, there's some internal obstacles that lie behind them. And I'll give you a hint here. That self-defeating behavior can almost always be traced back to fear of some sort. It's one of the dominant drivers of our behavior, and it shows up in all sorts of cunning, well-disguised ways. So for the final time, let's go back to the bikepacking niche and Mike Dion for an example. So let's say our hypothetical bikepacker is committed to a race, but for some reason, he can't seem to get himself to train regularly. He gets up in the morning, it's cold outside, and there's this moment of tension. Do you head out on your bike or do you go back to bed? And sure, in that moment, there's an element of choosing comfort over discomfort. But more likely than not, in the background, there's some deep fear that he's not good enough, that he can't become a new person. He's terrified that he'll never transcend the mistakes of his past self, and that fear adds a whole new dimension to this whole new moment where he's deciding whether to go bike or not. And he might not even be aware of it, but it's happening. So that's one example. Here's another. On race day, let's say he is in the race, he actually got there. There might be a certain point where he encounters an external obstacle of some sort. Maybe he gets into some epic crash, he, he blows a tire, whatever. And that causes another wave of internal obstacles to enter his mind. So in this instance, there might be a very literal war going on in his head. On one side, you have negativity and self-doubt. And that little voice saying, all the haters were right. I'm a fraud. I'm not cut out for this. And then on the other side is, you know, their idealized self, cheering them on towards meeting those external and internal desires. So from a storytelling perspective, this stuff is pure gold. It's when we depict a character overcoming their internal demons that we feel most connected and inspired by what they're doing. So that's internal obstacles. And there's one more subcategory that I want to throw in here. And that's what keeps them up at night. And this is kind of a maybe like a catch-all category that may or may not fit into either internal or external obstacles, but it is still important to consider. Because sometimes there are things that worry or aggravate the people in any given niche, even though those things aren't necessarily connected to any discernible goals. And this stuff is just as important to document. So as you're doing your deep dive research and your audience mapping, just keep an eye out for complaints or pains or just emotionally negative rhetoric and make note of it in this section. And very often this has to do with physical or emotional needs that aren't being met. So if need be, just refer back to Maslow's hierarchy um, if you need to use that lens to view this section. All right, my friend, we have made it to the final section or the final category of the audience map, and I saved the most challenging one for last. And essentially, we're going to define what their worldview is. So in its simplest form, the term worldview just refers to a person's or a group's conception of how the world works. So sometimes it's a codified philosophy or an ideology. It could be like Western liberalism or individualism or collectivism or Judeo-Christian theology or atheism or whatever else. What's more likely, though, is that any individual worldview is going to be a really diverse collection of beliefs that are all derived from like a wide range of sources. So some might stem from our parents, others from popular culture, and still others from the direct experiences that we have in life. And while each of us might have a totally unique worldview, kind of like a snowflake in that no two are exactly alike, when we're talking about groups of people who come together around a shared identity or a shared interest, i.e. a niche, um, very often there is a shared worldview at the heart of this group. And for storytellers and marketers, this is a super powerful thing. In the context of the audience map, worldviews essentially help us see the world exactly the same way as the people in our niche. They help us operate from the same set of base assumptions about quote-unquote how things are. 
And then when we create films and content and messages that reflect and reinforce that collective worldview, we take yet another step towards creating work that's so emotionally resonant that competition from outside media becomes irrelevant. So with that said, let's get into how to start sussing out the worldview of your niche. And there are three subcategories of beliefs that really make up a worldview. The first one is what do they believe about the world or the universe at large? So you're basically just looking for overarching beliefs about how the world works. Do people in your niche tend to view the world through a spiritual lens or an economic one? Do they see the world as inherently violent or peaceful? Do they believe the individual is the core unit of society or maybe it's the family or the community or the nation state? And if your niche lies in the realm of religion or politics, this is going to be really easy. Nearly any religious or political institution or identity will come with an overarching set of beliefs about how the world works. And very often they're going to be written down and really easy to find. So if that's the case, dig into that and add it to your audience map. But if your niche has nothing to do with religion or politics, don't, don't worry. More than anything else, you're just going to want to look for broad sweeping statements that are presented as fact or truth, even though they're subjective. For instance, a person in your niche might offhandedly say something like entrepreneurship and free markets are two of the most liberating forces in human history. Is this objectively true? Maybe, or maybe not. But they clearly believe that it is, and they live their life as if it were true. Hence, that would be a core part of their worldview, and you would want to document that here. So as you're doing your deep dive research and your audience mapping, look for these types of sweeping statements about how the world works, or this is how things are, or this is how things came to be this way, and add those insights to your audience map. The next subcategory here is what do they believe and love about their specific group or culture, and more specifically, what are the group's core values? So along with common enemies, shared values are the psychological glue that bonds any group together. And in this section of the audience map, you're just going to list out all of the recurring values that you spot throughout your niche. And like a few other sections here, this can feel a bit abstract. Um, but like other aspects of worldview, values often live in the subtext of what people say and what they do, which means you've got to put your critical thinking hat on and find them. So here are a few examples for the types of values that you might start finding. If your niche is jazz musicians, for instance, the core values might be artistic expression, collaboration, deep connection with jazz history, and community. If your niche is bikepacking, the core values are likely something along the lines of athletic achievement, personal mastery, love of the great outdoors, and adventure. So again, there's really no science to finding this stuff. It's about making educated guesses about what people value and refining those guesses over time as you gather more data. However, if you feel completely stuck with this, one thing I recommend is finding your personal values first. And while that's outside the scope of this article, I highly recommend um, an article on uh, another website by a dude named Scott Jeffrey. And though I don't have a like a quick link for it, if you Google um, how to find personal values or how to find core values, um, you will almost certainly find it. It ranks very highly in the Google machine. Anyhow, once you've found your values, you can start making more educated guesses as to which ones are universal with the rest of this niche that you're part of. So that's one piece of this section. The other is that in addition to outlining values, you can also use the section of the audience map to make note of recurring beliefs about how their group fits into the broader culture. So do they feel like they're a minority or a victim of larger society? Do they see themselves as more righteous or important than society at large? And quick heads up here, most groups would almost certainly answer both of those yes. Um, so here, just list out the ways that people view this group in relation to the broader culture. And the final section of this is what do individuals in the niche believe about themselves? So this section is all about the individual people in the niche and the beliefs that they hold about themselves and about their place in the larger group. So 
Do they personally feel a sense of agency in their lives or do they feel powerless? How do they view their fit within their family, their local community, and within the niche itself? Are they riddled with fear and self-doubt or do they feel confident? Like These are the types of things that you want to make note of in this section. So simply look for statements that contain these types of beliefs and jot them down. Now, a quick warning here. And that's the generally speaking, this section isn't as immediately useful as the other two, um, simply because there's so much variety and diversity in individual beliefs that it may not necessarily translate to the rest of the niche. And remember, one of the core things that we're trying to do here with the audience map is catalog things that are applicable to all or at least most of the people in our niche. So the trick with this section is to really be on the lookout for common patterns and individual beliefs rather than leaning too heavily into any single one. So if you find a personal belief that shows up again and again and again, it's very likely universal or mostly universal within the niche and you want to use it in all of the things that you're doing. So if you're tracking along with all of this, you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, that makes sense, but how the hell does one find those worldviews and values? Because after all, it's not like people go around spouting off their deepest held beliefs about this world. So just like the previous sections on finding inner desire and inner conflict, you're going to have to dig for subtext and extrapolate a worldview from that. And in order to get to that place, there's one super powerful question that you can use whenever you come across a statement or a comment that you feel might be indicative of somebody's worldview. And that question is simply, what would somebody have to believe in order to say this? So let's take an example from the world of politics as here in the U.S. right now, we're in the midst of yet another crazy election and there's all sorts of, you know, over the top rhetoric flying around. And a lot of it is indicative of people's deeper worldviews. So for instance, in more progressive circles these days, you often hear phrases like billionaires should not exist. If we were trying to suss out a coherent worldview from that statement, we'd ask ourselves, what someone would have to believe in order to say that. So here are a few ideas that immediately come to mind for me. Someone who says that billionaires should not exist likely believes that money is a finite resource and that due to a small group's astronomical wealth, a vast many more people are poor. They likely believe that earning that much money is only possible through exploitation of labor. They likely see capitalism as being inherently flawed or even immoral, and they also likely hold equality as a core value and want a government that creates economic policy based on that value. Now, I'm not here to say whether any of those beliefs are right or wrong or whatever, but these are examples of what you could intuit about someone's worldview from one simple statement that they make. And with that question of what would somebody have to believe in order to say this, you now have everything that you need to start building your audience map. That's all of the categories and that's all of the insight that you need to really get into the weeds on this. So I have a few final thoughts for you before we wrap up. So the first is that as you probably noticed, the audience map has a lot of different sections and it might even feel a little bit um, overwhelming. But don't worry, some of these are going to be pretty easy to fill out while others, particularly all these inner world, um, like worldview stuff, might take weeks or even months of total immersion to really grasp and to find. And that is totally okay. Don't feel like you have to get this thing perfectly filled out in one fell swoop. In fact, like I mentioned before, it'll never be complete and it'll never be perfectly filled out. An audience map is and should be a living, breathing document that grows with you as you deepen your relationship with and your understanding of the niche that you serve. That said, it really is important that you spend some quality focused time during your research process to get a really good head start on your audience map. And as you can hopefully tell at this point, the insights that you'll glean from this are really worth their weight in gold when it comes to branding, marketing, and telling stories that connect. So put your head down and do the work. It is not quick and it is not easy, but it is very much worth it. All right, my friends, that is a wrap on the audience mapping process and on this broader series about niche filmmaking. So like the last few episodes, let's do a quick recap of what we've covered here. First, as niche filmmakers, our superpower, the thing that we can do but major studios can't, is being able to create content that is hyper-specific to a certain niche or to a certain segment of the market. This creates a resonance that earns attention in a very noisy world. Next, 
creating that sense of resonance isn't a guessing game, or at least it shouldn't be. You can find all of the insights you need during your research process, and you record those insights into a document called an audience map. Now, the audience map does several important things. It helps you reach your audience where they are, speak to them in language that they understand, and then create content and tell stories that are deeply resonant. Now, the audience map itself is divided into two sections, the outer world and the inner world. The outer world is about documenting things that are observable in physical reality, while the inner world section is about the underlying psychology of the people in your niche. And finally, audience mapping is an ongoing process, and you'll likely be adding new insights for months or years to come. That said, it's smart to get a head start and build out as much of the map as possible during the deep dive research process. And there you have it, my friend. And like I mentioned somewhere else in this series, this stuff we've been covering here will account for a solid 80%, maybe 90% or more of whether your indie film business flourishes or flops. Because frankly, you can devote the next 10 years or 20 years of your life to mastering the craft of film and learning all the fanciest marketing strategies and tactics and whatnot. But to be honest with you, none of that will move the needle the way that finding the perfect niche and crafting resonant content for it will. That right there is the lever that allows you to move the world. So the parting thought that I wanna leave you with is this. The indie film business as it currently exists is broken beyond belief. It is a total predatory and disheartening clusterfuck. Now this whole niche approach, though it is clearly not for everybody, solves so many of those core problems and puts more power into the hands of filmmakers. So with that in mind, I hope you'll take everything from this series and really run with it, put it to use. And if you ever have any questions or comments or want to share a case study or anything, please just email me at rob at filmmakerfreedom.com and I would really love to hear from you. So good luck to you and Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to revisit the ideas in today's episode, you can find the transcribed version as well as the full archive of shows over at filmfreedomshow.com. And while you're there, feel free to browse around the Filmmaker Freedom website and check out some of the other rad content, including the weekly newsletter. Every Sunday morning, I send out a variety of the most useful, inspiring, thought-provoking stories I've come across that week, as well as some other cool stuff. It'll help you build your skills, master your psychology, and keep up with this ever-changing business. So if you're ready for an email that you'll actually look forward to each week, just head over to filmfreedomshow.com slash newsletter. Also, if the ideas in this show resonate with you, you're a great candidate for Freedom Fighters, which is my private community just for entrepreneurial indie filmmakers. It's totally free to join, but there is an application process to get in. So if you're interested in surrounding yourself with a group of like-minded entrepreneurial filmmakers who will push you to succeed and help you grow, just go to filmfreedomshow.com community. And lastly, I'd just like to give one more shout out to my friends over at Music Vine for sponsoring this show. The groovy intro and outro music came straight from their library, of course, and there is loads more where that came from. So if you're a discerning filmmaker who needs quality music, just go to musicvine.com and use the code FILMFREEDOM for 25% off your next order. Once again, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And I will see you in the next episode of Filmmaker Freedom. Peace. Peace.